That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two pitch. Swing a line drive to center field. Vargas breaking for the plate. This one's going to dunk in front of Bradley for a hit. Vargas trying to score. Bradley's throw is offline up the first base side. And it's an RBI single for Michael Chavis, bringing home Vargas. And the Nationals lead it 2 to nothing. The 1-2 delivery is on the way. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with an elevated fastball at 97 miles an hour. Ten strikeouts for Gore, matching a career high. Second time this season. Fourth time in his career he reaches double digits. May be asking for six here. Breaking ball hit in the air to deep left field. Going, going, long gone goodbye. A game tying home run for Edward Olivares. Kicks and delivers. Breaking ball line to right field. Thomas coming in, stops and drops in front of him. Now he's going to try and make a play to the plate. It will be too late. Melendez scores and the Royals win it on a line drive base hit in the right field for Michael Massey. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, May 29th, 2023, what is Memorial Day 2023. Hey, thank you to all of those who have served our country, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Sunday was maybe the ultimate test of how you as a Nats fan are approaching this season. If you are a Nats fan taking a big picture view of the team season, given the rebuild, then Sunday was a really good day with starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore having an excellent outing and the Nats promoting their top prospect outfielder James Wood to double A Harrisburg. But if you are a Nats fan very much into the outcomes of the team's games this season, then Sunday was rather rough. A 3-2 walk-off loss at the Kansas City Royals in a game in which the Nats blew a 2-0 seventh inning lead. The Nats remain without a series sweep of any kind since August 2021, remain without a three-game series sweep since June 2021, remain without a three-game series sweep on the road since August 2019. The Nats now are 23-30. and 30. This episode of the Nats Chat Podcast is Brought to you by Our Stomping Ground. Our Stomping Ground helps give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities. Through OSG, adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. You can donate at ourstompingground.org slash Nats. Mark, the Nats did win the series. We shouldn't lose sight of that. But uh, man, 
This loss on Sunday afternoon was unfortunate. Yeah, I think this one really stung because you were very much in position in a number of ways to finish this off and finally end that streak without a sweep that we keep referring to. And the reason we have to keep referring to it is because they can never actually finish it off. So the situation keeps coming up over and over. And, you know, I get what you're saying about big picture, be happy with what you got from Mackenzie Gore, be excited about James Wood promotion. And that's all, of course, accurate. But is it too much to ask for everything, at least on just one day? Is it too much to ask for all that to happen and for the team to win a very winnable game, which is what this one was? And for a variety of reasons, a lack of tacking on when they had countless opportunities to do that, and a pretty calculated decision by Davey Martinez to not use his best relievers, to not use anybody off the bench late in the game, you put that all together. And to me, that was a really frustrating outcome. Look, you never expect to sweep any series, okay? But the Royals are really, really bad. And there was no reason the Nationals couldn't have finished this thing off. So let's get to what happened with the bullpen, because in real time, you're watching this and you're asking yourself, why is Chad Cool being asked to complete two innings here in order to lock down this win? Remember, the Nats in their 12-10 win at the Royals on Friday night had four relievers who were unavailable for that game. Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, Andres Machado, and Thaddeus Ward. Well, apparently, multiple relievers were down for this game on Sunday afternoon. Mackenzie Gore was great. We'll get to him momentarily. But Davey Martinez in this game on Sunday afternoon only ended up using one reliever, and that reliever was Chad Cool, and he allowed two runs, one earned in one and two-thirds innings. He came into the game to begin the bottom of the eighth with the Nats nursing a 2-1 lead. He, to the first batter he faced, gave up a home run, a leadoff game-tying home run by Edward Olivares on a bottom to left field to tie the game at two 452 feet per stat cast. This was not some El Chipo home run. This was a big boy home run. And then Cool in the bottom of the ninth allowed an unearned run on a one-out fielding error by first baseman Dominic Smith and a two-out walk-off RBI single by Michael Massey to right field. Now, on those two occurrences, so the error by Smith was a killer, came on a one-out grounder by MJ Melendez as Smith allowed the grounder to go right between his legs. And then what was especially interesting was that Melendez stumbled in rounding first base But Lane Thomas overran the ball in right field. And so Melendez ended up being safe at second base. If Lane doesn't overrun the ball, makes, you know, his usual good throw, you maybe get Melendez out at second base. But then the other thing was on the walk-off single, the ball landed right in front of Lane Thomas. And man, I thought it was interesting. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with you guys was not shy about being critical of Lane Thomas for him not diving to try to catch that Michael Massey walk-off single. I thought he maybe thought he could throw the gap, but I mean, you just got to come get the ball. Yeah, that was about as much just straight up criticism as you're going to see from Davey Martinez to one player on one particular play, essentially saying, hey, look, the game's on the line here. It's a do or die play. Go ahead, dive for it. If you catch it, we're going to extra innings. If you don't, we're going to lose the game anyways. Lane's explanation. Looking back, I probably should have dove, but it's just one of those things where if I dove, he's definitely going to score. So, you know, the ball kind of got on me quick and I wish I could have made a better play at home. But yeah, it's just one of those kind of in-between plays where, you know, if you dive and miss it, the game's over or, you know, I just thought I might have a chance to throw him out. That would not have been an easy play either. As we saw, it was such a quick little short hop on him that it was tough to make a clean grab of it. He did not. By the time he finally got it, made the throw to the plate, it was too late. I think I do agree in that spot. Two outs, ninth inning, tie game, just go for broke. Doesn't mean he's going to catch it. I mean, that still would have been a spectacular catch, 
to force extra innings. But in that moment, yeah, I think you do just sell out, go for it. If he ends up missing it, I don't think anybody can complain about the effort or the fact that he tried to do that. So there's that. The Dom Smith error obviously is a bad one. It's, you know, as routine as they get. Cool winds delivers, swing the ground ball sharply. Hit. Oh, it goes right through the wickets of Dom Smith. Melendez around first on his way to second, stumbles, but Thomas can't pick it up cleanly. Throw to second, not in time. Ground ball to first. He said afterwards, and, and by the way, both these guys, you know, spoke to us afterwards. No excuses from either of them. As a reporter, I always appreciate that. You don't always see that where a player is going to stand up and take blame when they cost a team a game with a, a defensive mistake like that. That. So, you know, I do appreciate the fact that both guys did that. Dom Smith was explaining that it was a very hard surface here at Kauffman Stadium. He felt like there were a few other balls this weekend that he was a little shaky about. And so he specifically had that in mind as the ball's coming to him. He said he went down to a knee, which he doesn't always do. The ball maybe hit a little something that made it move a little differently. He put the glove down. It didn't get it all the way. The ball goes underneath. He claims that's the first time in his life that's ever actually happened to him. I don't find that hard to believe that he wouldn't have had that happen somewhere along the way in his life, but he felt terrible about it as he should. He's been really good for them defensively. It's just unfortunate that the time he makes such a bad error would come at such a critical moment in the game, but that's kind of how this one went. It was like the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, it was almost like any little thing that could go wrong for them did go wrong. And for me, watching it from above and writing a game story as this was all playing out, I have to admit, I kind of saw this coming. I felt like this one was going to slip away from them for one reason or another. Well, the Nats, you know, in this game, were not tacking on runs. This was another game in which the Nats did not do well with runners in scoring position, two for 12, and the Royals ended up scoring a run in the bottom of the seventh, a run in the bottom of the eighth, and a run in the bottom of the ninth. But what about the reliever availability? Because, you know, we hear about, well, this guy was down, that guy was down. There are degrees of down. Like, a guy can be completely unavailable. A guy can also be under the umbrella of, I prefer not to use him, but if I really have to, I can use him. We get it. Harvey and Finnegan especially have been used a lot lately. Same for Carl Edwards Jr. So were all three of those guys truly unavailable for this game? That's the sense that I got. And you didn't see any of them moving around. I was looking, you didn't see anybody start warming up along the way, stretching, anything like that. So it would have been four out of five days for all of them. It would have been three in a row for Edwards. And, and I get that. You're really trying to be careful with all of them. But it's not like they've never done this before. They have done it. If you did it with just one of them, maybe, is it worth it to take a shot at that, to try to win a game, to win a series? Now, I don't know what specifically those pitchers told Davey or Jim Hickey or the training staff. They all go out before the game. They play catch. They see how they're feeling. And it's their job to speak honestly to the staff and let them know, am I good to pitch today or not? And if they ever say, I don't think I've got it, then any good manager is going to say, okay, I'm staying away from you altogether. The strangest part of this one to me was in the seventh inning, he has Andres Machado start warming up. The idea being, okay, if Mackenzie Gore can't get out of this inning, we'll bring in Machado to finish it out. Gore did finish the inning, and then he just went straight to Chad Cool the rest of the way, had Cool warming up for a long time to come and do that. So Machado was available. I know he's not their top high leverage guy, but he is a career reliever who has pitched some big innings in the past. If he was available, why not just let him pitch the eighth or even the ninth? I'm not 100% sure. I think some of this too 
Is Davey managing for the possibility of extra innings and thinking this might not just be a two-inning appearance for Chad Cool? It could be even more than that, given his background as a starter. It's not a great position to be in, of course. You never want to be down that much, but it's pretty frustrating that it would happen two times in three days to be in that situation. Yeah, I don't want to hammer Davey for this because to your point, we don't know what he was told by these relievers. And, you know, there's also a darned if you do, darned if you don't aspect to all of this. You know, Davey gets hammered a lot for overusing relievers. Well, here he was trying to take care of his guys and it ended up not working out. I mean, ultimately, this does come down to you need multiple relievers who can get outs. You need multiple relievers on whom you can rely. And the Nats don't have enough of those guys right now. I guess you think back to all of these other recent games in which Davey has used three, four, five relievers. There is a price to pay for that. And you can find yourself in a circumstance like this, a Sunday afternoon in a close game, a chance for your first sweep in forever. And you have to stick with, you know, a guy who was demoted from your rotation and Chad Cool to try to close the game out. That's the cost of constantly using three, four, five relievers. And, you know, it's a tough tightrope that every manager has to walk. But, you know, I just think back to all those recent games in which Davey has leaned heavily on the bullpen. And I think that a uh, a debt came due in this game on Sunday. Yeah. And that's where you go back and say, well, could anyone else have pitched multiple innings to save someone from having to go? And then the other part of that is you have to think ahead as well. There's no off day here. You're going straight to Los Angeles for three straight games. Maybe in his mind, Davey's saying, well, I got to make sure I have these guys available to me then. The problem is we don't know what's going to happen on Monday against a really good Dodgers team. They may not be in a position to try to win a close game, and you may not want to go to Finnegan, Harvey, or Edwards anyway. So it's the hardest part of managing. We've talked about it. It's tricky. You're thinking both in terms of what the immediate need is, but also what the larger picture is. But again, you were just in the spot two days ago, and then you got a seven-inning start out of Mackenzie Gordon. You were still down to only Chad Cool. That's not supposed to happen that way. There's a lot of reasons as we just outlined why they found themselves in that position, but you should never get seven innings from your starter. And two days ago, you gave everybody the day off out of the bullpen and still none of them are available in this one. That's a little weird how that would all play out that way. Yeah. And so it does make you wonder if some guys were especially down or if guys said to Davey, I'm not right or something's off because that is strange that it ended up being that way. I tell you, I was stunned when Shad Cool came out for that ninth inning. I really was not expecting that at all, but uh, it be, and uh, it did not go well. Today's Nats Chat episode is brought to you by Our Stomping Ground. Our Stomping Ground helps give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities. Through OSG, adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. Millions of adults with disabilities in the U.S., rely on family caregivers over 60, making it hard for them to provide care now and in the future. Supporting adults with disabilities decreases the risk of homelessness and empowers people to work and meaningfully contribute to society. A monthly donation of just $10 will help OSG continue to scale in the DMV. Thanks, Eric, and thanks, Nats fans, for supporting OSG. Donate at OurStompingGround.org slash Nats. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing 
for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ahead of Massey, one ball, two strikes. The windup, the kick, and the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a slider, and it's a new career high. 11 strikeouts for Gore as he puts away Massey to end the last of the seventh inning. Well, the shame of what happened on Sunday afternoon is that the Nats did not win a game in which Mackenzie Gore was awesome. You know, he had not been that great over his previous three starts. We talked about that on the last installment of the podcast, but Mackenzie Gore in this game on Sunday afternoon was great. One run in seven innings, 11 strikeouts versus one walk. An ace-like outing from Mackenzie Gore. He gave up just three hits, a homer, a double, and a single. He threw a lot of strikes, 106 pitches, 75 strikes versus 31 balls. His fastball was on point. You know, it's funny with Josiah Gray, we talk about his fastball usage and him not always trusting the fastball and him maybe not having a great fastball to begin with. Uh, The fastball from Mackenzie Gore on Sunday afternoon was very much on point. I mean, the only real blow that came off him was his home run by MJ Melendez, a one-out solo shot to left center to cut the Nats lead to 2-1 that happened in the bottom of the seventh inning. But otherwise, Gore was tremendous. 
tremendous. And, you know, it's funny how these things can play out. So I mentioned Gore having had some problems in each of his previous three starts. This outing on Sunday afternoon was his best start since another walk-off loss, that 8-7 walk-off loss at the Arizona Diamondbacks on May 6. Gore in that game, two runs, six innings, nine strikeouts, one walk. So go figure. Mackenzie Gore pitches well. You suffer walk-off losses here. But man, Mackenzie Gore was tremendous in this game. Here are the numbers that stand out to me. 106 pitches, 75 strikes. That's a huge percentage. And 23 of those 75 strikes were swing and misses. That is elite. That is fantastic stuff. And he got a lot of them off his fastball, which was so good. And props to him and Riley Adams for recognizing that the Royals were just not making good contact. They were not catching up to that one. And so they stuck with it. They didn't have to try to get cute or do anything out of the ordinary. He just kept pounding fastballs, especially down in the zone, and was really effective with it. So yet another example, and and we've seen, I think, enough of them now over two months this season to recognize that this guy has what it takes to be a frontline big-time big league starter. Now, consistency is the key. He has not found that yet, but he's still very early in his career. You'd like to believe that's going to happen with time. But he did this after a few outings, like you said, where the pitch count got up there, where he did struggle to go deep in the game. And he did this on a day when, as we now know, with the state of the bullpen, they needed him to do that and go seven innings for the first time as a national. So I get that he's facing a lineup that was not very good, but you know what? Great pitchers need to dominate bad lineups, and that's what he did in this game. And so it's just another notch, and we've had several of them in this column now over the last two months, that says to you, Mackenzie Gore is the real deal. And, you know, with Mackenzie Gore, I mean, this is more or less his rookie season, right? You certainly could view it that way. I think you have to appreciate what he's doing here because we see so many young pitchers struggle initially. Heck, we saw Josiah Gray struggle woefully initially. For those of you who follow the Orioles, one of the top pitching prospects in the sport, Grayson Rodriguez, the O's just sent him down to AAA Norfolk. That's how bad he has been here lately. He got destroyed in a game on Friday night, a blowout loss to the Texas Rangers, and Rodriguez was as highly touted, maybe even more highly touted than Gore. Rodriguez has had a hard time pitching at the major league level. Gore, for the most part, here has not. Like He, in a lot of ways, is hitting the ground running, and I think that is so impressive. I think, as a baseball fan, you're so appreciative of that because that doesn't happen with every pitcher, even every like highly regarded pitcher. And so, if this is the baseline, like if whatever he ends up being this season is the baseline, an ERA in the threes, a strikeouts per nine innings over 11, you know, for the most part, good. I mean, the direction can only go up, you, you figure, right? So I think it is so good to see him doing well. Gray has been great because we've seen the improvement, but Gore is establishing a foundation off which, I mean, you really could have something special here. Yeah. Think about it this way. If Josiah Gray was doing what he's done this year, last year, how excited would we have been in what was essentially his rookie year? Well, that's where Mackenzie Gore is in his development. So yeah, provided health, of course, and the idea that a young pitcher is going to continue to improve. And I think he's the type of guy who will with experience, the sky's the limit there. And we've been spoiled a little bit over the years by guys like Steven Strasburg, who came in guns a blazing as a rookie and did things that were so amazing 
that you tend to think, oh, well, that must be the way it is with elite pitching. No, it's not always that way. Max Scherzer took several years into his career before he finally figured out. He really didn't do it in Arizona. It wasn't until he got to Detroit that it came together for him. I remember Jordan Zimmerman had kind of a rocky rookie year before he hurt his elbow, and it was a few years later when he came back healthy that he turned into the consistent force that he was. Gio Gonzalez took a few years to figure it out. Patrick Corbin took a few years to figure it out. So yeah, if this is what Mackenzie Gore is doing now in essentially one full year of big league experience when you count what he did last year in San Diego and now what he did here, that's outstanding. And he strikes me as the kind of guy who is going to get better because he is a perfectionist. He pays a lot of attention to what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong. He'll find fault even when he's pitched really well. This is a guy who wants to be the best And if this is who he already is right now, that's really good. So this ended up being an odd series for the Nationals hitting. They, in game one, scored 12 runs. But the Nats, over the final two games of this three-game series at the Royals, totaled six runs. You had the two big six innings over games one and two, right? Friday night, eight runs, six. Saturday, four runs, six. But this game on Sunday, there really just was not a lot happening for the Nationals offensively. Just the two runs, the Nats for the game totaled just eight hits. Did work five walks, but as I mentioned earlier, two for 12 with runners in scoring position. It's worth noting, I mean, this was very much a JV game in terms of the lineup. It was JV in terms of the bullpen and JV in a lot of ways in terms of the lineup. I mean, you had Stone Garrett as the Nats cleanup batter. You had Ildemaro Vargas as the Nats starting shortstop. You had Michael Chavis as the Nats starting third baseman. You had Riley Adams as an at starting catcher. Now, Vargas and Chavis did produce. Vargas, one for four with an RBI double, two run fourth, the first pitch went out RBI double off the top of the left field wall. Chavis, two for three with an RBI single, another single and a walk. Chavis in that two run fourth, a one out full count RBI single to center for a two nothing Nats lead. Stone Garrett had himself a leadoff double to begin the uh, top of the eighth inning, but there just wasn't much happening. I look at like Luis Garcia, right? The huge game Friday night, six for six, Luis, over the final two games of this series, 0 for 10 with three strikeouts, like just not a lot happening with him. It did stand out as this game went on and it was a close game and you had the likes of, you know, K. Bert Ruiz and Corey Dickerson and C.J. Abrams on the bench. Davey Martinez, and that still are a National League team, even though I know they've played so many American League teams this season, but Davey Martinez, National League manager, no pinch hitters in this game. What'd you think about that? That did strike me as well. Now, they don't pinch hit a lot. We've seen that all year, but they don't typically have a four-man bench of Abrams, Candelario, Dickerson, and Ruiz. That's as good a bench as you're ever going to see, at least for this team, to be clear. And I was surprised that it felt like Davey saying, these guys are off today, kind of like the bullpen guys. I'm not going to use them no matter what. Now, he was asked about particularly the eighth inning against Araldus Chapman, why he let Michael Chavis and Riley Adams hit for themselves. Chavis did draw a walk to load the bases, but then Adams struck out, leaving the bases loaded, and then Alex Call popped out to end the inning. That was really the toughest one. That would be a spot that you could say either Ruiz for Adams, catcher for catcher, or Candelario for Chavis, third baseman for third baseman. And Davey essentially was saying that he liked the matchups better with what they had. Yeah, he wanted to give those other guys a day off, but he felt like against the lefty, Araldus Chapman, Riley Adams has swung the bat well. Chavis had had a good day at the plate. Okay, I can see that. The one that actually bothered me more, to be honest, was in the ninth, and they didn't have a lot going. It was a two-out walk drawn by Joey Manessis in what's now a tie game. And Stone Garrett comes up, and we have seen for a couple weeks now that he will pinch hit Garrett for Dickerson 
Dickerson for Garrett. Like he is platooning those two guys. It's pretty clear that's the plan. Dickerson's available on the bench. He could take over for Garrett in left field, facing a right-hander at this point. And I was really surprised that Garrett stayed in there instead of Dickerson. I get you don't want to use all those guys up. You don't want to pinch hit everyone. But there seemed like there were at least one or two. And that one in particular stood out to me. Why not let Corey Dickerson have a crack at that? Try to tack on a run there. And why let Joey Manessis run for himself? Not a great base run. You have C.J. Abrams on the bench. It can still be a quote-unquote day off for him. And he ends up pinch running for Joey Manessis. And then he's the DH. So it's not like he's got to take the field after that. It was strange, and especially with Dickerson. I mean, the guy just had a month plus on the injured list. It's not like fatigue is a concern with Corey Dickerson. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the left calf is ailing him or something, and I guess that's possible. But yeah, it was bizarre. It was like Davey decided, all these guys are off, and uh, ain't nothing going to change my mind on that. So hey, Sunday, in fact, ended up being a day of rest for uh, multiple Nationals players. Well, Sunday also ended up being a very exciting day, if you're a Nationals fan, because We on Sunday got the news of the Nats promoting their top prospect, outfielder James Wood, from High A Wilmington to Double A Harrisburg. The official announcement came on Sunday afternoon. We talked about James Wood a couple of uh, episodes ago here. The stock of James Wood is soaring right now. So he's one of the six players, including five prospects, who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres in the Juan Soto slash Josh Bell trade of last August 2nd. Here's all that you need to know. James Wood at the time of that trade was the number 88 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. He right now is the number seven prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. Again, stock is soaring. He this season has killed it for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks, 42 games, 181 plate appearances, batting average 293 on base percentage, 392 slugging percentage of 580. He's built like an NFL tight end, 6'6", 240. This is just his age 20 season. Think about that. And, you know, we know how it goes with these prospects. So many of them, they end up being called up to the majors sooner than anyone ever anticipated. This happened with Bryce Harper. This happened with Anthony Rendon. This happened with Juan Soto. You know, I asked you a couple of episodes ago, well, could we see James Wood at the major league level next season? And the answer was yes. And that made sense. I'm going to ask you a different question. Could we see James Wood at the major league level this season? Maybe that's not likely, but is that now at least in play? Well, I think my answer to you the other day was that the key would be when do they promote him to double A? And that'll give you a sense of what the timeline would be. I was anticipating maybe a late June, early July. You spend half the season at single A, the second half at double A. And I thought that could put him in a position where maybe we see him in Washington next year. Well, for them to do the move now, Memorial Day weekend, to get him in double A, only what a third of the way through the season. That says a lot to me about what they believe he can be and what they believe his timeline could be. Now, he's got to show that he can do it at double A, although as we are taping this, he's already singled in his first at bat. So that's a pretty good start for him. He's playing center field. He's batting third in his debut for Harrisburg. If he were to keep doing what he did at single A, at the double A level, you've now set it up where you could do another promotion later this season And we've also seen at times, not often, but at times, a willingness to bump a guy straight from double A to the big leagues. So my answer to you, is it possible that he debuts for the Nationals before the end of this season? Yes. If you make this move on May 28th, that to me says you're at least considering the possibility. He's still got to prove a lot. There's a big leap there to get from single A to double A and maybe even to triple A at some point. But 
They didn't have to make this move yet. They could have waited another few weeks and even another month. That to me would have signaled, no, it's not happening this year. We're looking at next year. By making the move now, that suggests to me that they're at least considering the possibility. It is enticing. It is exciting. I mean, at the very least, next spring training, we are going to be on James Wood watch for him making the team out of spring training, you know, to say nothing of what could be the case this season. Now, you know, I do think you have to think about the service time issue. Nobody likes to talk about that, but I think you're crazy not to incorporate that at the very least into your thinking. But you just said it. I mean, I think once a guy reaches double A, and I'm talking about like a highly regarded prospect, I think you are at that moment on the watch for him to be promoted to the majors because at that point it's on. You know, when you're in the single A level, it's like, okay, let's see how he does. He killed it for high A Wilmington. You know, we'll obviously see what he does for double A Harrisburg. Second round pick to James Wood. I think that's instructive. This was not like some top five pick. You can find great players or at least highly promising players in rounds other than first rounds. And, you know, that goes back to the conversation about the Nats issues with drafting here in recent years. Speaking of high Wilmington, so Sean Doolittle has uh, made his season debut for Wilmington. So with Doolittle, he's technically not on the 40-man roster. So this isn't a minor league rehab assignment per se. Are the Nats treating this like a minor league rehab assignment to where if he shows some things, they'll call him up sooner rather than later? Or do you think that there are no guarantees with Doolittle? So the way Davey described it is kind of like a spring training for him. It is, this is what's weird because remember, he signed a minor league contract. He is officially on the minor league IL with AAA Rochester, okay? And so this is a rehab assignment. It's just a minor league rehab assignment for a minor league team. Davey talked about wanting him to make at least seven or eight appearances. The idea being, this is sort of like spring training for him, give him several weeks to work on a schedule probably every other day and then eventually pitch back-to-back days. And then once he's through all that, now they sit down and decide, okay, where do we want to go from here? If they do not think that he's either ready or they don't think that he is big league material at the moment, they can take him off the IL and just keep him at AAA and he can keep pitching there until he shows that he's big league ready again. It's kind of like Tyler Clippard last year with just adding an injury to that equation. So he's not on the 40-man. They're under no urgent need to have to make a move. There's no deadline or anything like that. And I think knowing Sean, he wants to stick this out and he's not going to try to opt out of his contract and go somewhere else, I don't believe. Now, that said, I don't think they did any of this unless they believed that Sean Doolittle would be able to come all the way back and pitch for them in the big leagues. But they're not going to feel pressured to have to do it. They want to see how he does. The good news, it was a, a scoreless inning. He threw 92 with his fastball, got a couple strikeouts, one of them on a slider, which is a good thing that they want to see from him. Of course, he evolves as a pitcher in his later years. So by all accounts, very good. Now, can he come back and do it again in a couple of days? Eventually, can he pitch back-to-back days? And then, you know, three, four weeks from now, once he's had time to make all those appearances, now it's time to make a decision. Is he big league ready or is he AAA ready? And the other part of this is he doesn't have to spend the whole time at Wilmington. He could go to other spots. So we'll see if he moves around a little bit and maybe the idea is that he finishes this at the AAA level to be a little you know, stiffer competition. Well, a good and healthy Sean Doolittle could do this Nats bullpen some good. He could have pitched the ninth inning today, perhaps, huh? I think most people would have felt more comfortable with him out there, that's for sure. So next up for the Nationals, a three-game series at the mighty National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers. A couple of late nights coming up. Game one, Monday night, 9-10. Game two, Tuesday night, 10-10. Game three, Wednesday afternoon, 4-10. As we're taping this, have the Nats officially announced their pitchers for this series? 
Yeah, for the Nationals, it's Williams, Irvin, and Corbin. And for the Dodgers, it's Miller, the uh, exciting young rookie, Tony Gonsolin, and Noah Syndergaard in the Corbin versus Syndergaard matchup on Wednesday. A couple of guys with track records in the past who are trying to rediscover it. Again, Corbin has done a good job of it. Syndergaard has not done a good job of rediscovering his old self. Yeah, Syndergaard really has become a journeyman. He has been on so many different teams here in recent years. Well, we thank our presenting sponsor for this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. Our stomping ground, our stomping ground helps to give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities through OSG. Adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. Donate at ourstompingground.org slash Nats. We have a new website. Check it out, natschatpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Shovers again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. Two little sets. He kicks, he delivers, and a swing and a fly ball left center field. Robles to his right on the run there. He's calling for it, and he makes the catch. And a curly W's in the books. The Nationals take game one of the 2019 World Series. Sean Doolittle with a 1-2-3 bottom of the ninth inning. He retires all four men that he faces. And the Nationals on the field to celebrate a victory. Our final score, the Washington Nationals 5, the Houston Astros 4.